are now listening to the Unshakable Health Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. All right. Oh my gosh, guys. It's an amazing week, amazing month. Such a pleasure to be back here with you. I'm interviewing a good friend and just an amazing dude, speaker, author, coach. He's even a runner. He's going to tell you how he started running. Uh, I think in his 40s. Yeah, in his 40s. He's six foot four. He was always told he shouldn't be a runner. And he is an amazing runner, run a couple of marathons in, in quite good times. And he is just a cool dude. We have Dave Hollis on the show today. I can't wait to share him with you. But before we get into that, I just want to thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in, for taking this time out of your precious day to be with us and to share with us. And I hope you're getting value here. And I hope that you'll share this episode with somebody, a friend, family, or whomever. And also be sure to drop a review. If you haven't done that, I read each and every one. They so tickle my heart. I just love, love, love that you guys do this. And so please, please, please hop on over there to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Scroll down to where it says review and just drop a review. And I may actually share it right here in the show. So without further ado, we're going to get into this amazing episode with Mr. Dave Hollis. Another thing I'm super pumped about is the upcoming Align Limitless event, January 19th through 21st of 2023 in beautiful and warm in January, Tampa, Florida, right on the water. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. All kinds of just kick butt speakers, including Trent Shelton, myself, Dr. Thomas Hemingway, my wife, Brooke, so many other amazing speakers are coming like Patrice Washington, who some of you have seen before. She is epic. You're just going to love this event. So if you don't have your tickets yet, time is running out. This will sell out. Align Limitless, Tampa, Florida, January 19th through 21st. Get your tickets now at Align Events live.com. You can also check out my wife's website, brookhemingway.com, but those tickets will be available for a little bit longer on aligneventslive.com. Go and grab them today. All right. So today we have just an amazing guest. I would consider him a friend. We got to even share a stage together at an event just about a year ago. And he is an incredible human, father of four kids. He's also been a foster parent. He's a best-selling author of multiple books. The guy even wrote a children's book. Like this dude is amazing. He is crushing it. He has a top podcast that many of you have heard of as well, the Rise Together podcast, his most recent book, Built Through Courage. My favorite of all your books so far, Dave. Dave Hollis is on the show today. Welcome, Dave. Oh, thank you, Thomas. It's so good to be here. Appreciate you, buddy. Oh my gosh. Such a pleasure to to be able to be chatting, to be looking each other in the eye and just, just having a good solid chat. I'm, I'm so excited for this. Dave, just tell us the Dave Hollis of today at 47 years young. Just give us a little bit of the background of what got you to where you are today. Who is Dave oh, today? It has been, it's been a journey, brother. I mean, I grew up in Southern California, Beach Town, San Clemente. Uh, went to uh, school at Pepperdine, stayed right there by the water, and uh, found my way into entertainment as uh, the beginnings of my adult work life, as it were. Uh, had some jobs in PR and research and talent management, found my way into the Walt Disney Company, where I spent 17 years of a career. And in 2018, made a big leap, left corporate for the pursuit of entrepreneurship, moved our family, where, uh, yep, I've got four kids. Uh, an amazing now 15, 14, 10, and five-year-old, three boys and a girl. 
and we moved our family from what then was Los Angeles out to just outside of Austin, Texas, lived in a little town called Dripping Springs, and started doing some work inside of uh, the personal development space, for lack of a better word, trying to put tools in people's hands to help them have a better life, and did that for a couple of years, and then uh, in, a, in a series of what now has become somewhat of a constant shift in identity, uh, I'd shed that corporate identity for entrepreneurship. I shed the identity of being a married human uh, back in 2020 when uh, a 16-year marriage ended and uh, going through that, man, what's next? How, how, how next do I define who I am if I'm no longer who I was? And uh, these last few years have really just been a journey of discovering, you know, who am I? What am I here for? How can I best serve people? And, and how can I best show up for myself so I can uh, be the kind of dad I'd hope to be so that I can be the kind of person that I hope to be and be proud of when I'm by myself. And so um, currently, you know, I, I spend my time consulting small businesses in their pursuit for trying to create value and uh, delivering change for people's lives themselves. Uh, I am, as you say, still writing books. I've got this kid's book coming out. I'm working on the next nonfiction book as well. I love doing my podcast. Um, and I've really been in uh, pursuit of uh, health, uh, a journey of health in these last handful of years where um, understanding the effects of what I eat and how I move and the way that it makes me feel has been uh, super, super important, including um, you know, confronting as a part of this journey things that were not serving me, like drinking uh, was not serving me, though it was a thing that really derailed uh, a lot of my confidence and a lot of my dignity for some length of time as a coping mechanism. And so um, I'm trying to figure out every single day, how can I be just a single percent better than I was the day before? How can I deliver a little bit of light and goodness to this world? How can I accept the humanness that is me <laughs> making a whole heck of a lot of mistakes along the way? And and hope that at the end of it all, um, I've continued to grow and become someone that I can be proud of for myself, for my kids, and that uh, I can take the gifts and talents that I've been given and use them for good to help other people in this world. Yeah. Wow, Dave. I mean, you are a human that is really crushing life and you're making mistakes along the way, which I think is amazing. I make mistakes every day. And if I don't, I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell my kids that. I mean, as you and I know, we both got a bunch of kids and you got to be a little bit transparent and a little bit vulnerable, not overly so to where you know, you're just on a friend to friend level. You're still the parent, but you got to be vulnerable. You got to share. You got to be transparent. I love how you shared just now that this sort of health journey has kind of been something in the most recent decade that you've really focused on. I, I, I remember hearing you talk. I remember where it was, but you were speaking of like becoming a runner. Like you're a big guy, man. I mean, I mean I've been right shoulder to shoulder with you. I feel pretty short next to you. I'm five, eight and you're six, I forget, two or three. Like yeah. how did that even happen? How did that happen? Becoming Dave Hollis, the runner? Like what, what's up with that? Well, I mean, in part, it was a challenge from a colleague who had suggested that he could destroy me in a run. I mean, it, not that the viewer can see this, but there is a human being crawling behind <laughs> me in this Zoom camera. <laughs> What's up? This is what happens in a podcast. Hi. Oh, buddy, it's Dr. Thomas. What's up? Aloha. How are you? Aloha. Welcome. I'll let you guys get back to it. <laughs> that's amazing it's real life oh she got it she got the shaka oh my gosh you're amazing <laughs> um, I mean of all things I was challenged at the time I was working at Disney the head of domestic was a good 
12 or 13 years older than I was. And he was himself a runner's runner. Like he was the guy on casual Fridays that wore those shoes <laughs> that had the toes cut out and was proud of it. Just like, yep, I am such a runner that I'm going to wear these shoes and feel pride. And I was like, look at you, man. Okay. There was a run that was coming up and he, knowing that he had age on me and also proficiency in running, cause it was a thing that he did challenge me to a run because I'm a competitive guy. I was like, okay, I take this challenge. And I was out to try and show that I could beat the old man. And I had never actually run. And I, you know, have talked about it. It's kind of a silly story, but it's an attempt to illustrate the way limiting beliefs and how we get them can keep us from doing something because of the way we think we can't until we show ourselves that we can. But I, I'd grown up being told by my mom, who is an awesome human being. She loves me. Um, but she was concerned that as a person who's six feet, four inches tall, that I couldn't run. It was in some ways going to have an impact on my hips or my knees or my back. And so I just grew up believing that I couldn't. And then in the challenge from this older colleague, I got out on that course. I ran my heart out. He destroyed me. It was wonderful <laughs> for him to be able to relish in destroying me. But what didn't happen is that I didn't have pain in my knees, my backs or my hips. And it was one of those first times where I had uh, tested a hypothesis that had previously been handed to me, uh, but I hadn't actually kind of like put the, the rubber to the road, as it were. And once I saw like, oh, hey, I ran and it didn't hurt, maybe I could run some more. I started using running as a healthier coping mechanism for stress when, again, I, I mentioned alcohol, like, Picking up a bottle as a thing to alleviate stress at the end of a long day was just a thing with the hecticness and craziness that was the work that was happening inside of this corporate environment or certainly the work that was happening inside of the entrepreneurial environment that uh, we were charging into. And so I started running as a way to kind of manage stress. And when I realized that, man, it was super effective, not in, you know, like making it necessarily go away, but allowing me to create a relationship with the anxiety or create a relationship with the stress and become something of a more, uh, you know, kind of investigative reporter of understanding why it was there and what it meant. Uh, I just started running longer distances because I was interested in understanding it better so that I might um, either satisfy it in honoring it and the fact that I could see it so that it might leave goodbye or have enough of a conversation with it on that long run that it could give me some instruction in how to create a plan or change course or do something that would alleviate it from existing because of some action or agency I was taking in my life. So I now, I, I love running. Um, there are days when I have scheduled a run for myself. Like, well, I'm going to go on a run tomorrow. And I wake up and I'm like, gosh, I don't want to run. But then I get two or three miles in and I remind myself like this is I, I do. And so getting out for a long run, man, there's nothing more therapeutic than the sound of your feet hitting hitting that ground. And um, the, the silence sometimes that you are afforded in disconnecting from the chaos and craziness of every day. Yeah. Wow. So, so powerful there. I, <laughs> I'm kind of like you. I never considered myself a runner. I, I still don't. My wife is a runner and she's run marathons and I, I, I'm kind of nervous to even say this, but most don't know when she ran a certain marathon back in Honolulu, which I forget how many thousands of people, she literally got first place in her group, you know, for the women of her wow. age, she has a plaque of a first place and she's embarrassed about it because she doesn't really think she's that good of a runner. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like Honolulu marathon is how many thousand people I, I have the goal, Dave, one day to run 
a marathon with my wife. I haven't done it yet. I'm going to do it, but I have a little bit of that thing in my head that I'm not a runner. <laughs> I'm a surfer. Like I, I, I move my body every day, but I'm not a runner. I actually don't hate running. I just haven't taken the time to develop that yet. I figure if it's a tiger, I'm running from it. But yeah. how, how does somebody get to a place where not only do they do like you did and they continue to do the thing, but you just told me that you get excited about it. Like you're thinking about a run the next day. And like, maybe when you wake up that second, you're not, but maybe the previous day, you're like, I get to go for this run tomorrow. I'm going to do whatever that lap is up in the mountain or around the city or whatever. Like, how do you get to that place in your mind where something that you want, not only identified as not being that person or thing or, or, or whatever that may be, but you actually are looking forward to it. How do you get to that? It seems like a big jump. Well, I mean, in like in the most basic or kind of simple way, think of the habit loop, the traditional mm -hmm. habit loop, right? There's a trigger, something happens in life, it creates some kind of a reaction, and that reaction intends to get some kind of reward, right? You're going to get triggered. Like you're, you, I guarantee, will get triggered. And so for me, it was just seeing the way that the trigger existing, whether it was stress or frustration from some situation, whatever it was, yeah. that trigger was going to happen. And my reward was feeling less of it or making peace with it or understanding a way to create a plan so that I can get around it. And the peace part or the not dealing with it or having it go away, right? When it was a negative coping mechanism, co negative coping mechanism, oh, I'm going to have some drinks so I can numb that feeling, or I'm going to have some food that probably isn't great for me. And I'm going to, you know, distract myself from that uh, thing that's making me feel uncomfortable. I did get the short term reward, right? I didn't feel that anxiety or I, you know, like pushed it away so that I couldn't see it, but it didn't really get to the root of why it existed. It didn't actually like make me feel good for a prolonged period of time in the same kind of way that substituting that negative thing for a more positive thing like running actually did. And I wouldn't have known it until I just put it into practice. So it wasn't until I was running that I realized, oh, wow, this running actually has a benefit of creating the reward that I'm looking for. And also, it is a preventative measure from having the next negative loop that might show up happen, which if it were drinking or if it were eating, tended to be something in shame. Ah, now I feel bad that I handled that trigger in the way that I did. And now I've got feelings about that shame that are producing a whole new loop that has me having to handle it again. And guess what? Like if it's drinking, sometimes you just get into a repetitive loop, like, oh, I got to drink more so I don't have to feel shame for having drank before or whatever it might be. So like, really, it's just putting it into practice, like getting out and actually feeling the benefit of the thing and might not be running for you, right? It might be, you know, going to the gym or finding a yoga or doing some breathing or whatever it might be. But like, there is something out there that is a great substitute for whatever you're currently using as a response to something in triggers. Uh, but I want to, I will just like finish the thought though. on like, you're, you're saying like, Hey, I'm not a runner, right? Yeah. My belief that I wasn't a runner, like I said, was this gift ish gift that came from my mom. And as much as she loved me and was trying to keep me safe by protecting me from a thing that she thought might hurt me. Part of what I think you have to do, if you find yourself thinking that you're not something like you're not a runner, I would argue that part of what you need to do is Ask yourself who authored the story that you aren't. Because like the author of my story was this person that I love and crave love from so much. And I had to ask like, okay, is she an authority in my life? 
And the answer is, yeah, of course, she's authority in my life. She's my mom. But then I had to ask, is she an authority on this topic or this situation? And as it turns out, my mom is neither tall nor a runner. And so as it turns out, as much as she may have authority in my life, she has no authority over the topic. And it makes her perspective on my ability to be a runner invalid. She doesn't have credibility. In that case, I can discount it, test my own hypothesis and see if in fact, I am a runner and rewrite a little bit of that story and turn that limiting belief into something empowering because of the action that I end up taking. Yeah, no, I love that you brought that back because I, I was actually preparing uh, in my mind as you were speaking a, a second question about the identity thing. Like, let's go back to that for a second because what most people don't realize or we don't really think about it much is a lot of these kind of identity things that we carry with us as humans started when we were three or four or five years old. And like, if we still believe some of these things that started at this age, based on like what Dave shared with us, somebody who though lovingly and obviously is an authority in our life because they're our parent, they didn't have that specific training in that activity running we're, we're speaking of now, but we can change these things. The coolest thing about all that was not that it was running. It was just the fact that you in your mind told yourself for years, maybe 30 years, that you were not a runner. And today, not only do you run, but you love to run. And it has been also this therapeutic modality with being able to not have the desire to drink as that sort of numbing you know, practice, but you can go for a run and you love it. And you're, you're like thinking about it. You're dreaming about that run tomorrow. That's the way I dream about like, hopefully the waves are going to be good tomorrow or something like that. But the identity shift for me was super powerful that I think in our minds, often we decide, and some of it has been almost decided for us, like you said, Dave, from our parents when we we're super little, like we're either this person or that person. But what you've shared right here is it doesn't have to stay that way. It's not yeah. static. It is not static. And no, I, think- I mean, here's the headline. The running story is a silly story, like in the biggest picture, but it's a metaphor yeah. because someone has told you that you're not smart or that you're not going to do this thing or achieve this dream or you can't do that. or And the question that you have to come back and ask is, who is the author of this? What authority do they have? Was there is there relevance today in 2022 to the story that may have been told to you in 1982? Are the conditions in 82 and the conditions in 22 the same? Are Is the person you were in 82 and the person you are in 22 the same? And of course, the answer is no. And it doesn't mean that there aren't still some good things that may, in fact, still have practical application from your programming, from your family of origin. But we can't wholesale think that every single thing that we were ever taught in 1982 has perfect application in 2022 without questioning if it still does. And you can do that by still holding respect for the author of the story as it was told, because at that time, it may have been relevant it my, like my mom telling me that I was a runner. It was it was love. It was an act of love because she, that was what she was trying to do is protect me. But just because someone offers you a story in love, it doesn't mean that their love isn't actually built on a foundation of fear or insecurity or their own prag programming from their own history with their own family of origin. And so, just asking the question, doing the audit of. Why do I believe what I believe? Where do my capital T truths come from? Who are the authors? And do they have relevance and currency 
and aligned values and what I believe in for my family in this house, in this era, if you're not doing, if you're not having that conversation or question, you're likely living out of alignment with who you think you are or would like to be or would, would hope to emulate for your children to become because you're just operating on outdated software from programming in a different era. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I think uh, taking a moment to investigate, like you said, ask the question, I think is so powerful. Sometimes we just need to pause, press pause for a moment and look at, like you said, where that came from. Maybe the author back then, like in your mom's case, she was doing it out of love. She didn't want you to get injured. But what was happening back then in 82 is not the same as what's happening today. So it may not be applicable, but you would have never come to that if you didn't ask the question. So I'm curious, Dave, you've been on this journey, especially recently in the last decade, more on focusing on your health and you're going to do a fitness competition. Like who would have thought you were ever going to do that? I mean, you probably didn't yourself. You're preparing for that soon. And like how, what shifted in your mind with respect to, I don't know if it was the power of good health or maybe it was the power of sickness. Like what caused the shift in your life to where you decided I'm going to focus more than I did yesterday, maybe last week, last year on my health than ever before. Like what was the trigger for you or why did you decide that? Well, I mean, one of the biggest things, to be honest, like all of the identity shifts that have happened in this pretty short window of time, four or five years for me, have been heavy on mental health aspects inside, right? And so as I had a lot of like comfort and comfort zone in knowing that I was a guy that worked inside of a corporate space that had a certain title that was, you know, I I may not have been satisfied necessarily. It's part of why I decided to leave, but at least I knew who I I was. And in some ways, I argue that people tend to choose to stick with suffering that they're familiar with because it's a little more predictable. There's some safety in that. It's something that you become accustomed to. And for, you know, a length of time while I was still in corporate, as much as I, man, I had a great job and I could really, I, I could take good care of my family. I didn't feel aligned to what I was meant to do on this planet. And I was not in a place where I could make the leap until I finally did. Once I did, it really, did, it did a number on kind of who am I if I'm not who I was. And so many things coming at me that was then followed by transitioning out of a business that I built with my then wife and the end of my marriage and a whole host of things. The reason why I had to get so serious about my physical health was because of the way that my ability to make myself feel strong physically bled into helping me feel strong mentally. When I could see the connection between moving my body in the way that I now had energy or moving my body in the way that, you know, sometimes, you know, the small steps of, you know, saying I was going to go do something and actually doing it, making me feel a sense of pride or a sense of, Um, dignity for myself was important when in all of this change, I sometimes was having a harder time connecting to it. And so, you know, as a vehicle for trying to create some additional strength in my emotional and my mental health, physical health has been such a powerful foundational thing that acts as a springboard for addressing every other thing that I'm trying to work through and on. Hey, do you guys know what I'm really loving these days? I got this epic new device. It's called Lumen, L-U-M-E-N. It's a metabolic tracker. You remember how I've always said we want a flexible metabolism? You know, 
one that can operate both on fats as well as carbohydrates and be able to use them for energy in the most effective and efficient way. Well, this device does the job. It tells you where you are with respect to your metabolism. And if you're on your way to metabolic flexibility, it's super, super easy. It doesn't involve any peeing in a cup or any needle sticks, poking yourself, checking blood, none of that. All you have to do is put your lips around it and do a couple of breaths. It's that dang simple. And it really helps you hack your metabolism, gives you all the information that you need and coupled with the app, it provides you with meal plans and dietary advice and things. It's just really epic. I'm really loving it. It's L-U-M-E-N. And if you want to check it out, you can get a discount of 50 bucks if you sign up for a device with my code DRTH. All this will be in the show notes, but check it out, lumen.me. It's an epic metabolic hacking device, which I'm using and I'm loving, and I hope you'll check it out too. And with my discount code of DRTH, you can get 50 bucks off. So check it out. Check out your Lumen. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, I, I really feel like that's one of these, I think, best kept secrets, and it shouldn't be, is the power of that movement, the power of whatever it is that takes your breath for a moment, whether it be a run or lifting a heavy weight, or for me, I love pull-ups or surfing or whatever that is for us that can not only get us alive and feeling like we can crush the world, whatever bit of bout of exercise that may be for us. And then to do it repeatedly over and over. People always ask me this, Dave, they say, Dr. Hemingway, what's the best exercise? You know what I tell them? The one that you will do. Like it Any. doesn't matter. Anything, anything that moves your body, you can pick dancing, salsa dancing. That's amazing exercise. I'm actually going to go learn salsa dancing myself because I suck at it. And I realize that my wife is good at it. And she wants me to not look like such a dork when I dance with her. And so I'm going to actually take a salsa lesson, uh, dancing lesson coming up. And, and so one of those things that um, you've mentioned that this physical activity or health fitness, whatever that is, it trickles in to almost every aspect of our life. And I don't think that we often realize that until we start making it a priority. For you, Dave, was it something that you physically had to like schedule in or was it something you've always done? You've always been a guy that goes to the gym or how did you really make the leap to make it a regular event that really shaped these last couple of years? Well, I think it's been a couple of things. The one, I decided to start taking on bigger and bigger challenges that would require more and more training so that I could, in doing something that went beyond what I thought I had physical capacity for, reframe what I believed I could do. And so when I ran my first marathon, I hadn't previously ever run you know, anywhere near 24 miles. And so to be able to, uh, 26 miles, to be able to get to a place where in crossing that finish line, I now reset what I knew myself to be capable of in long distance running, man, it changed the way I thought about how I could get through something that might come my way, whether it was mentally or emotionally. I did uh, this crazy but unbelievable challenge in 29029, this Jesse, Jesse Itzler event where you replicate the vertical climbing of Mount Everest by climbing a mountain. I happen to do one in Utah. They have them all over the country. Uh, 13 ascents to, to again, make the 29,000 feet ascent to replicate climbing Everest. And it was the hardest physical challenge and hardest mental emotional challenge I've ever been through in a kind of 36 hour window. And it was incredible because I left that mountain feeling like 
come at me, bro. I don't care what it is. I now know that I have a fortitude and a grit and a willingness to keep going when I don't think I have anything left in the tank. Like if I, if I ever get to that place where it feels like the empty light is flashing, I know there's still multiple additional levers that can be pulled inside of my body. I mean, I'll just, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I climbed this mountain and the, and the mountain climb was about an hour 45 ascent. Then you'd get on a gondola, come down for about 15 minutes. And then the saying was, you just turn right. You turn right, head right back up the hill. And the 13 climbs, the average climb was about an hour and 45 minutes. And the week before I came in, I had a weekly run that was a longer run. I was running probably three times a week. But my Sunday run was my quote unquote long run. And it was about an hour. Right? I'd run about five miles, maybe maybe six miles in an hour's worth of time. And then I get off the mountain. I'm feeling great about myself. The following Sunday, it's time for my long run. And now I'm going out to do my long run. And the idea of only running for an hour feels ridiculous because I just did 13 consecutive hardest workouts of my life that each took an hour and 45 minutes the idea that my like most taxing thing for the week is going to be 60 minutes, just about ridiculous. And so on the spot, I decided, you know what? I'm going to run a half marathon. I'm going to do the 13 miles. I did it in 215 or whatever it was. And for 19 consecutive weekends, I went out on that sat on that sat Sunday, you know, post-church, let's go on a run. And I hit a, a half marathon on the 20th weekend. I ran my first marathon. Now, I'm not saying that it's the recipe for someone, you know, no one else needs to replicate that. All I'm saying is prior to doing that hard challenge, it didn't even occur to me that I had it in me to run a half marathon on a weekend, let alone on 19, 20 consecutive weekends. But part of pushing yourself into something that pushes you or challenges you beyond what you think you can do is it just reframes and resets the bar at which you now hold yourself when you're thinking about what you're going to go and try and accomplish. And so, uh, man, it had this like great effect in helping me think that I could handle whatever might come my way mentally or physically, mentally or emotionally, but it also just changed the way I thought about what I could do in physical challenge. And so it's led to a whole host of things, including this, yep, physique competition that's happening in just a handful of days. <laughs> and I, you know, like it, it, this, I mean, shoot, we could talk about this forever because it's just this, this is a thing that has had a completely different outcome in terms of its impact on me than I thought that it would. But it's, an, again, one of these things that I have in challenging myself to do something that seemed bigger than something I could handle is producing a reframed reset belief in what I can do. And now I get to take that with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, I, <clears throat> that, that was amazing. And I want to do, if you do this again, this, um, you know, climb that you do 13 times and, and, if you're making up that, that's incredible. If you actually, with that, I, I, I'm not familiar with the, the course or whatever, but if you're doing the 29,035 feet, that is Everest, you've actually outdone Everest because Everest, you don't start at zero, right? You don't, you start at whatever, 18,000 feet, or I forget what base camp is these days, but, but Everest is growing, right? When I was a kid, it was 29,028 feet. I think most recently I looked, it was 29,035 feet or what have you. But to do that, over and over and over. And then to have done it now, your belief is totally different. Like, yeah. you know, that you can do hard things. And so it can be used as this sort of, you know, if you need to fall back on something, 
because stress happens. Something hits us and we're like, well, I've never done that before. But dude, I climbed the equivalent of Everest or actually probably what was double Everest if it was 29,000 feet of, of incline because you don't start at zero in Everest. Like you freaking crushed it. Like crushed. you can do anything. Like yep. what? It's I mean, wild. I think I think that's part of why they make the Navy SEALs um, do what they do because not that they need to like, you know, they train with like boats on their head and they got to carry telephone poles and swim for miles. Do you think they ever do that on a day-to-day basis? They don't. They don't do that. But it it trains their mind and their body and their belief. I think their belief is the strongest thing they train there because they believe they know they can do hard things. Absolutely. And they don't know what hard things will hit them. And we, Dave, don't know what hard things are going to hit us. But if we've done something challenging, we have the belief that at least we can get through it. We may not know exactly what that'll look like, but we know that we can do hard things. Wow. That I love that. We, we got to do that together. If you do it again, I'm interested. All right. Done. In. Yep. <laughs> so, so here's the thing I, I've been dying to ask you with, with respect to, let's just keep going on the health thing because you're, you're just, this is amazing. But for the people out there who let's say, um, haven't, you know, decided like, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And they describe themselves in their mind as I'm not an athlete or I'm not a whatever, like what, what would be the first step to just get them started? Is it, they put their shoes, you know, in front of the door and they have to trip over them. Like what's the first piece? How do you just get, get to, you know, making that a a daily practice or what, what would you recommend? Yeah. I mean, if it's running specifically, I mean, you're going to need to start at a slow pace and a short distance. And as you decide, you know, hey, I'm going to kind of take on the identity of being a runner, then you're going to probably need some running shoes because that's what <laughs> runners have. Um, one for good arch support and, you know, not having, the, you know, as much risk for injury. But um, also there's something about putting on the avatar of the thing that you've declared that you are. And so if, if and when you decide, hey, you know, I'm a runner, um, get yourself the things that runners have. I like the idea of putting them, you know, by the door or whatever it might be. Like for me, when I wake up in the morning and I um, am immediately out of bed, I am putting on my workout stuff because it's a non-negotiable. I just know I, if I'm with my kids, I have, I've got school drop off. I will be in this workout garb and I will immediately from having dropped them off, drive straight to the gym and get my workout done because that's how I'm going to start my day because that's a thing that I've committed to. Um, if if you if you say, you know, I think I'm going to do this, you're not going to do it. If, you know, like if the calendar affords it later in the day, if I can get around to it later in the day, you're not. Um, so it, it does require some intention and, and, and prioritization. It also requires that you are prepared in, you know, setting your stuff out and, and getting ready to go. But, you know, for for the running thing, again, I'm going to go back to like starting at a slow pace and starting with a short distance, you know, just because you've now declared yourself a runner, if you haven't run before, if you go out and decide, oh, well, Dave said that he runs uh, half marathons on Sundays, I'm going to go run a half marathon. (laughs) You will now you will decide that you are not a runner if that is the first thing you do in jumping into running, right? Like you're at the beginning of your journey. And so be comfortable being at the beginning. And then as time goes by, add a little distance and quicken your pace or add a little distance and keep the same pace and then slowly inch your pace up and then add a little bit more distance. But, um, you know, just managing your expectation of what you'll be able to handle at the beginning and being comfortable with doing what you can with what you have 
and then watching as time goes by how you develop a little bit more mastery and have, oh, wait, look, I'm developing some skill as a runner. Like I could, yes. Can I run a marathon right now? I can. Could I run a marathon when I first started running? Absolutely not. I couldn't keep running for an entire mile. But over time, you build up the endurance, you build up the rhythm, you build up the confidence. And, um, you know, you over time will be able to run longer distances at a faster pace. And, you know, that's the same way for any exercise. You just have to start. Yeah, you have to start. And I think two, two things, I'll break down what I took away from that. The two things I think are most powerful from what you just said is the first thing is you have to identify that avatar, like who you are wanting to be the become part, right? I think sometimes we just say, I want to run for 30 minutes a day. Well, well, why? I want to become the person that's healthy, that can do a 30 minute run and not be like, oh my gosh, I'm dying kind of thing. And you may have to work up to that. Like think of who you want to become and it'll make that process easier. Cause then like Dave said, you're going to naturally choose to, you're going to get some running shoes. You're going to make sure that that's part of the daily activity. You're going to schedule it. You're, you're going to do all of those things that that runner or that you know, person, that healthy person would do. And that goes the same with, I, I think you could probably agree with me, but that goes the same with your, let's say, eating habits, right? If you describe yourself as a healthy person, well, you know that you're not going to be sitting and eating a bowl of ice cream every night like I used to do a decade ago. Like that's not what a healthy person does. Now I not only, you know, don't crave ice cream, but I know that's not what healthy people do. And so I don't do that. So first the identity thing is critical. And then the incremental motion, you know, start small, start where you are, wherever yep. that may be. Maybe yep. It's just a walk today and that's perfect. And then you can slowly inch it up because the body craves that the body craves change and you want to increase your fitness by manipulating, you know, those factors, run a little faster, run a little longer, whatever that is, you got to mix it up, do interval training. Your body craves all of this stuff. It doesn't want to do the same. Did you know, Dave, that if you do the same workout every single day, not only do you see diminishing returns, most people have no idea about this, but let's say you as a runner, this is something most runners don't know, but let's say you run five miles every single day. Did you know that over time, not only will your body become more efficient at burning less calories during that five mile run, but you will actually start to lose muscle mass because your body wants to figure out how it can do that process the most lean, efficient way possible. So you don't want to do the same wow. thing. Now the body, yeah. Now, now when people talk about this interval thing, right? Do the, the, um, interval training, do resistance training. Like when you and I grew up, like weight room and running were dichotomous, like you almost couldn't do both. And now it's like, why wouldn't you want to include oh, some yeah. kind of resistance training? Like you're hitting the gym, you're also running, you need both. You need both. So that variety, those incremental changes, and then the belief those are so powerful. Has there been something uh, with, with respect to your health, Dave, or, or that of um, the last couple of years that you focused on, especially coming up on this competition you're doing? Tell us about the food part with you. What does that look like now? What did it used to look like? What changes have you noticed? And um, what would you say to somebody who's you know, maybe doing the standard diet, which is what I call the sad diet, right? Standard American diet full of all that processed stuff. Like, like what's been your journey with respect to food? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, I come out of a uh, majority of my adulthood conscientious of there being a thing between healthy and unhealthy and not terribly intentional and certainly not, in, not very consistent. And uh, I will say, you know, like it's, it's something only in the last year where I've really been 
engaged in a, like a regular fitness community where I've sought out and been uh, surrounded inside of a thing like nutrition education as a thing that my, my lady friend Heidi gets to teach to an awesome community of people. Like knowledge information has become such a powerful thing because I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I think for a long time, I just thought that I was built to have a stomach ache, that I was just built to not process, like that, that it was just my wiring. And it's only been in this run up to this competition where there's been like really, I don't want to say strict, but strict. I mean, like I, I am at a point where I am eating a very specific diet and it is engineered so that I can get to this stage in a very specific way. And part of it has been, uh, hey, there are certain foods like gluten, there's certain things like lactose that are not a part of this diet. And what I'm realizing in the absence of those things, that I have a sensitivity, that they were probably causing inflammation, that there was something that was happening inside of my body that I had written off to it just being a part of how I'm wired, that of course, in their absence, I'm realizing, oh my goodness, what an idiot I am at 47 years old. I could have 20 years earlier <laughs> through elimination or otherwise addressed something that's just always existed. And so, um, I want to tell you that, man, as a part of my health journey, food and nutrition has always been a huge component of it. I've, I've been in you know, kind of the best shape of my life over the last five years worth of time. But my best shape was more about body movement and running than it was about nutrition. And it hasn't been until this last six months where I've really leaned into the nutrition part. And it's shocking to me the way that um, nutrition ends up being almost all of the way that it changes how I feel, how I sleep, how I, I mean, how I look, but also, you know, the way that my body inside is responding to the fuel that I'm putting into the food that I'm putting into it. It's, um, I don't just feel silly because of course you hear people like you telling people like, oh man, if you just, you know, think about this in a different way, in a science-based way, in a whatever, but yeah, it's not until you actually apply it to yourself that you're like, oh, I finally get it. And now that I do, like, I, 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 I joke, but like the, you know, what are you going to eat after the competition conversation? Like, I, <laughs> I can't even consider the things that I would have thought of prior to understanding the way that certain foods make me feel now, because I don't want to have a stomachache for four hours. Like, I just yeah. don't. Yeah, no, that's, that's powerful. And I, I love what you said that you, although you, you know, been focusing on health for a decade, you didn't really know what you didn't know about, about food. Right. I think that sometimes we just assume that, oh, we've kind of heard all that. We kind of know the things and then we still go out and eat at X, Y, Z place, whatever that is. And then we don't feel great after it's like, it didn't dawn on us that maybe we didn't feel great after because the quality of that food was not awesome. Right. It was yeah. probably full of gluten and highly processed carbs. It probably had a bunch of crappy oils in it. Like the cheapest one, soybean oil, for example, which is super inflammatory. We don't know that it's not good for us because we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And when we change, we make a change and we see immediate, like food is one of the coolest things because literally you can see an immediate change when you start to eliminate a couple things. Like in your case, you eliminated gluten, dairy, what, what have you, you notice change pretty, pretty, Early on, I would I would yeah. guess, right? Pretty, oh, yeah. pretty, pretty soon. And then when you fuel with these other things that are whole foods, it's it's not hard. It's not rocket science. It's just eat food that doesn't need an ingredient list. 
because you look at it, you know what it is. It's a one ingredient food. You know what that vegetable, what that fruit, what that protein is. Hopefully it was well-raised if it was grown in the ground, hopefully without pesticides and all of that stuff. And if it was raised in the field, hopefully it was raised the way it did 2000 years ago. And it got to run around free range and all that kind of stuff too. Like those things, they seem like a no brainer, but most of the time we don't really think about it. And we just, you know, we just eat for what we think is sustenance or energy, but we lack thinking about the process that this food could actually tell our body to be healthy or to yeah. not be healthy. And so yeah. I'm, I'm so stoked that you've recently found that because it's super empowering and you don't necessarily know that even as a health minded person, I mean, we always think fitness first, right? Everybody tells us, Oh, we got to move our body. We got to do so many hours of cardio, you know, 180 minutes a week kind of thing. And we don't think about all the other super critical things. Was there any other big needle mover for you, Dave, in getting ready for either this competition or the last couple of years with respect to health besides the food and the movement? Was there any other thing that you found that really, really helped you to feel healthy, to get more energy, that sort of, sort of thing? Was there another thing? Well, out there? I mean, just generally on the run up of the competition, I think it's associated with health. It might even be more mental health than it is, you know, physical health. The, um, the discipline and the consistency that has been required to achieve this goal has provided this sense of dignity and pride for the effort that was being deployed toward this pursuit of good health that I didn't expect as a byproduct of the, you know, the process, you know, I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll maybe see an ab one day. Wouldn't that be weird to go from dad bod? I just wanted, <laughs> I wanted to name him Steven. We'd, we'd, you know, we'd talk to him nice, but um, he's barely coming in. I mean, he's not quite here. He's barely coming. But um, I think there's something, you know, like we all want to respect ourselves. We all like the question of like, how do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself is such an important thing to ask. And the thing that I desire most is to love myself, to have respect for myself, to have dignity. And when I am pursuing health in a way that is consistent with who I say I want to be and, and how I want to feel, there's something in like routinely showing up and living in that kind of integrity that makes me feel really, really good about myself. And so, you know, I didn't think it could come out of a competition. I didn't think it would come necessarily because of a pursuit of living a healthier lifestyle. And now I've seen a thing I can't unsee. And so, you know, in this, you know, like the competition's only a couple of days away. Guess what? My desire to continue to love myself, have respect for myself, pride, be proud of myself. That'll exist forever and ever and ever. And if the pursuit of choosing something that I have agency over to create a healthier life, also beyond longevity, beyond energy, beyond happiness, also happens to produce dignity and respect for myself, I'd be crazy not to do it. And so I think there's something beautiful in that being a, um, a little byproduct of or a, a takeaway from this, uh, from this process. I'm super grateful for it. Yeah. And that's something that I think that sometimes we don't pause long enough to really think about. It's that sort of alignment or that integrity where you're allowing yourself to appreciate and love yourself. I think you even use that word to love yourself. And I think as you put in whatever it is, the time, the hard yards, whatever that is, but as you focus, as you put that effort into whatever, whether it be just eating more healthy or sleeping better or going to the gym or walking, whatever those steps are, 
as you do that, naturally you feel better, of course, duh, but also you're building in your mind and in your spirit, this confidence, this feeling of self-love, and you're respecting yourself more. You're living in that alignment and with that integrity that you actually feel good about who yeah. you are and who you're becoming. And I think, like you said, as a byproduct, like, why not, why not start with that? Like, who doesn't want to feel good about yeah. themselves? Who doesn't want to, you know, be comfortable, like in their own skin, so to speak? I hate to use that metaphor, but, but uh, who doesn't want that? We, we all desire that. And I wanted to give you a chance. You, you wrote this amazing book, Built Through Courage, that I love. I wanted you to share some of your you know, biggest takeaways from that. And of course, we'll encourage everybody to get it. But I, I love the book and I know we chatted before about it and, and the, you know, the whole boat in the harbor and you don't even really love the ocean kind of thing, but it's such an amazing analogy. Like, Tell us a little bit about the book and what put it um, to, to paper and, and, and what we can sort of learn there. Yeah, I mean, there is a big sea analogy in it. And yes, I am not great at sea. So it's kind of hilarious that I <laughs> use that metaphor to absolute death. But, um, you know, the, the life that I've had in this last five years has been a series of either change choosing me or me choosing change. And every one of those changes was me having to leave something of a safe harbor that I'd been docked to where there was some safety and security and comfort and um, the willingness or the grab the side of the boat and hold on necessity of, uh, you know, kind of handling the choppy waters that exist away from that safe harbor. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got this tattoo here on my arm. It's a John Shedd quote. It says, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. And it's like, has been this kind of perpetual mantra. I had it on my arm so that I can continually remind myself that, um, you know, change will continue to choose me that I will continue if I'm interested in continuing to grow, if I want to get closer to the kind of idealized version of who God wants me to be, I'm going to have to keep putting myself out on those choppy waters. And it's this reminder that you're built to handle them. And so the book is about having the courage to trust that you already have all of what you need to get yourself through the, the, not the likelihood, but the guarantee that life is not going to go exactly as you think. And then when it doesn't, um, you have the choice to either embrace it and see how those things having changed are working for your greater good or um, stay stuck and, and stay, you know, like clinging to that, uh, that safe harbor at the expense of becoming who you were meant to be. Um, I just, I really believe that each of us were given a set of gifts that there was absolute deliberate intention in how each of us were created by our creator and that there is a responsibility, a mandate of sorts for us to use those gifts in bringing goodness and light to this world and helping other people and serving, you know, serving our gifts up as a gift to others. Um, but it takes courage to do it because inevitably someone somewhere is going to tell you that they don't like your gift. They, they don't want your gift that um, they're jealous of your gift or whatever it might be. And, um, and you're going to have to continue to like, just trust that, yep, this gift is here for a reason that it has an intended audience that you um, were put here on purpose and that you have some responsibility to honor the intention of a creator who just didn't make a mistake in, in giving you what was given um, that has, um, you know, equipped you to go out and do this good work, even if it's going to be rocky 
when the waves start, you know, cracking out of that open sea, you have to remember that you're built for it. So um, that was the the idea of the book. And uh, I hope, you know, if nothing else, it gives someone this belief in self and, and the courage to kind of keep on going when things inevitably start getting crazy out there in the choppy waters. Yeah, no, such such a beautiful metaphor. I love it. And what you just said about being created for your purpose, your mission, and and that God doesn't make any mistakes. Like my grandmother used to tell me, God don't make no junk. Like she literally told me that when I was a young kid, and she was totally right. Our we are made perfectly and for a, a mission that maybe we just haven't discovered it yet. Maybe we just haven't tapped into that. But that discovery, hopefully, and then pursuing that gift and that mission will literally not only transform our life, but it will bless the lives of so many. And I think you're really doing that. You're crushing it. And I thank you for all that you are doing. I just love following you and all that you really have to share and give to this planet. You're an amazing human. Tell everybody how they can follow you, reach out to you, and um, all that good stuff. Right on. Uh, I mean, I spend less, but still some time on Instagram, Mr. Dave Hollis. Uh, please, you know, head over there. Uh, if there's uh, an appetite for a kid's book, I've got one coming out here on November 8th. It's called Here's to Your Dreams. You can go to here's to your dreams.com. Uh, I've got a regular podcast. Thomas has been a guest. Uh, you can head over to the Rise Together podcast if you're interested. And um, that's about it. I mean, I, I mean, built through courage. I love this book. I think it's a great book. And grab it wherever books are sold. But um, Mr. Dave Hollis is probably the easiest one on Instagram. Yeah, Mr. Dave Hollis is an amazing human, and uh, it's just a gift to call you a friend. And I just thank you, and I value you and and what you're doing and your time today for our listeners and viewers out there. It's just it's been such a gift, and I hope everybody can take home that message that. Oh my gosh, guys! Wasn't that amazing? What a gift! What an incredible dude, Mr. Dave Hollis. That was so much fun. I didn't know all that about his running. Uh, that was actually a lot of fun. I've chatted with him several times. I actually got to speak with him live on stage in an amazing event last January, the Align event, which is actually going to be coming up again this January in beautiful, beautiful Florida. It's going to be warm, sunny, nice, beautiful. It's a hotel on the water. It's amazing. You got to check that out. Align Limitless is coming this January. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's such an amazing, amazing conference. I'll be there. My wife, Brooke, will be there. A lot of amazing other guests who will speak and coach and train us in so many good things about the good life and how we can be limitless, as Dave was referring to here. So I hope you'll sign up for that and get tickets soon because they will sell out. It's uh, it's an amazing venue, but hey, the seats are not unlimited, but you are limitless, but the seats are limited. So make sure you get your seat soon. And you can find that over on Align Events Live or on my wife's website, brookhemingway.com. I'll put a link to that in the website. It's going to be an amazing event. Can't wait to see you there. And until next time, Please be sure to share this episode, share with somebody you love or care about, and drop a review. And let me know how you're doing. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Dr. Thomas Hemingway, or wherever you find your social media. A big aloha to you.